0: How about now? We're ready now. Okay. Welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast. I'm Carissa, not croissant.
1: (laughs) Stupid autocorrect.
0: And I'm joined by our other (laughs) nerds, Ryan. Hello. And Rory. Hey. This week, Christina is. Look for her on your local sports affiliate. She is in the crowd at a baseball game. Together, we take on the week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks our favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to... The Punisher, number three. Our companion song is The Dinosaur Song by Johnny Cash. I chose this because, well, if you read the story, the little girl is singing a dinosaur song. And, well, Johnny Cash just has that sound that seems it fits in this area in which the comic takes place in. It's very down-home, very... um I'm trying to think of a nice way to put it.
1: It's a very homey, rustic meth lab.
0: Yes. And so, it definitely... Johnny Cash seems like the kind of music that they would listen to down there so there you go
2: dinosaurs lived a long time ago they were terrible lizards don't you know some ate plants and some ate meat some ate fish and some ate beets one was called a diplodocus one was bigger than your school bus one was called a triceratops Three horns to stop anything at hops.
0: So, Punisher number three, Marvel Comics, written by Becky Cloonan, art by Steve Dillon, colors by Frank Martin. Where this leaves off is that Frank has been hunting down the drug people who he ran to the warehouse. And he has the DEA after him. He has another drug lord guy from the city after him. There's this mess lab yokels know that he's coming and they're prepared for him and you might have heard remember me and ryan's outrage about their plan that they have set for frankie oh. which is the leader's daughter is strapped to an explosive vest and he's just manipulating her and it's all bad and we got we were very riled not having it the reason why this is my pick of the week is just that damn satisfaction clear and simple because all the books I had to choose from this week they were all the ones that were good were all about the same level but just Pure satisfaction. And I'm just going to jump to it because, I mean, the rest of it is just basically a Punisher comic. You get what you expect. <laughs> people are getting shots. People just want to see us take down the Punisher. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> You're not going to take them down. The first batch of Yoko's like, oh, there's a van. They're like, what do you do? Take it down. They shoot it. They fail. They die. The face is looking for like some sort of weird super soldiers. And he's like in an asylum, it looks like. Weird, crazy people chained to walls. So back to why I chose it. So they're at the seam. And yeah, they fail taking down the... The van. The dad basically goes, "Oh, are you ready, Juniper?" He says, "Walk towards the van and don't stop." And she's wearing about vest. So she has this little dinosaur. The whole time she's singing this little T Rex song, and it's super cute. <laughs> and she's doing what she's supposed to do. And he's like, "Don't you dare stop till you get to that van," because all of a sudden there's like smoke grenades like he goes ping 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 like you see it like bouncing them thing like that and so she's still trying to listen to him and he's like don't you stop to there and then it like, shows frank behind knife of the throat and like talking da da. and like, like where can i find him and the guy gets up the information then like the total manipulative thing he's like oh what you're gonna kill me in front of my little girl frank just goes she's not gonna see a damn thing and i'm like yes
1: i really like that i i actually did give a little little fist bump i was like yes <laughs>
0: yeah me too I was like,
1: Yes. I was really happy to see that guy get gutted and I liked that mm-hmm. Punisher was smart enough to put some smoke in there so that girl yeah. doesn't see what happens.
0: Clearly the girl knows that Frank is probably... The best for her, she doesn't put up a fight out of it. She's just like, I'm in, I'm going with you. And then you get that, that interesting dynamic of Frank Castle with the little girl, you know, driving in the car. It's, it's just... hard
1: to remember. Frank was a family man. He did have yeah. children.
0: I mean, that's what made him this killing machine with this little girl. It always has an interesting dynamic. The beginning of the professional and things like that. That was really cute. She's singing her dinosaur song and she says how, I really like dinosaurs, but isn't it sad because they're all dead? But if they were alive, then we'd be dead. And like,
1: nice little parallel to like kind of his having to kill tons of people.
0: Yeah, so it was really interesting. So he's with her, but then they get under attack now. Which I guess the face caught up, bringing whatever crazy asylum soldiers he found, chasing down with the little girl in there. So she's in the line of fire while he has to deal with these maniacs. And that's basically where it ends. The drawing has been brought up that it is the preacher artist make a little bit more sense now. And I'm a little bit more accepting of it though. When people get crazy eyes in this comic book, they get some crazy eyes. They are the crazy (laughs) eyes are up on points on for the drawing. Like they are intense and they're creepy. The little girl though is still just as sweet as can be. And, They really emote her really well. If you're a Punisher fan, there's a great one. There's there's the comic shot that I posted this morning of him half in shadow with the skull holding the gun, like to point of reference. That one was a really good panel. And then just like me and Ryan talk about the the smoke with him saying she's not going to see a damn thing. Definitely were especially riled up as much as we were from the last issue. This one definitely pays you back for that. You feel some vindication. So that's what I thought. What did you guys think?
2: As far as the story goes, I'm really digging the story. I am liking what they're doing with it. I think the writing's good. I'm not as big of a fan of the artwork. It looks like everybody just, everybody has that expression on their face like somebody had just gone crop dusting by him and then they just walked into <laughs> it. And that's what the artist has drawn. Now, I've seen his work in Preacher. I like it better there. It just, it doesn't do it for me here. Sorry. I
1: think Frank doesn't look like Frank. I have a picture in my mind of what the Punisher should look like, and that's not it.
0: Our work is my least favorite part. Frank Miller, Punisher is my favorite, so that's yep. what I always
2: think. I'm willing to let other artists give it a go and stuff. A lot of the expressions that he does are just kind of weird and funky. The shitty part is like, he does some really, there's some parts that I really do like, it's almost like his style is inconsistent, because there's certain scenes that I really like, that are really well done, that make me go, yeah, you know, and then there's other scenes where it's just like, what the fuck were you doing here?
0: Crazy Eye is good, other parts maybe not so good.
2: A lot of stuff I just didn't dig. Artwork's inconsistent.
1: I was happy to see that there's a warning on the cover that this is not for
2: children that should be kind of self explanatory though
1: (laughs) but that's kind of been one of my complaints about this book is that it's in order to tell a Punisher story I think it should be a more mature story like they got the violence down here people get shot here they get fucking shot there's (laughs) eyes exploding and blood everywhere and they do violence really really well you got to give it to Steve Dillon for that. And the writing's yes. good, but they have to blank out the curses. And to me, that just takes me completely out of the story. Uh, I do not yeah. like that. They don't do Marvel Max anymore, but if they did, I'd be a prime contender for it.
2: I noticed so much in this one. It was really killing me. Or
1: there should be like Polly Bag. This one has swearing in it, edition or something. There is that one scene you talked about where it's kind of where you're looking up at Frank and he's telling them like, you're next, when he's like pointing the gun down basically at the camera, plays in like profile. That's a pretty good uh, Punisher good, picture. Iconic, yeah.
2: That one I definitely enjoyed. That was like iconic yeah. right there.
1: And then the part in the, uh, the smoke grenade I thought was pretty cool. I also like that I'm pretty sure the Punisher used one of the people's dead bodies to distract the guy so that he could sneak up behind him. It propped him up, which Mm -hmm. I thought was pretty interesting. He's like, nope, she won't see a thing, and then slits his throat. And the girl is adorable.
0: I gave it a good three and a half She's Not Gonna See a Thing. That small victory, right? I felt so strongly about the last issue.
2: Give it three and a half explosive vests.
0: I'll give it three. You're next. Rory, I believe you're keeping us in the Marvel Universe.
2: We got Moon Knight number four, Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Greg Smallwood, colors by Jordy Belair. It's kind of funny because We just got to see Moon Knight last week. Here he is again.
1: Written by the same... Not
2: dying this time. So this is a little fun one. You start off and Moon Knight and crew have uh, made it out to the streets finally. Now it's like everybody's seeing what he's seeing, it seems like his what we're not sure whether they're delusions or not but usually delusions aren't shared
1: I still think it's ambiguous enough like I'm starting to tend more towards they're not just his delusions but still could be
2: it's also written from his perspective so (laughs) gotten out of the uh, the hospital that they've been in seems like they've gone super far away end up right next to it a cop ends up running up to him interesting thing is that you know it looks like that there's like you know sand blowing around and stuff cops like what are you doing standing out here in the rain moon knight sees him as like gator headed he totally scooby-doos it where he like rips the
1: like face off and yeah. a, it's like reverse <laughs> scooby-doo you know he rips the regular face off and there's a monster underneath
2: One more person gets killed, apparently, by getting bit in the neck. I imagine that's probably more of a gunshot wound.
1: That's what I was thinking, that that's, in reality, a gunshot wound.
0: He's saying it's a bite. I definitely like the biting of the neck, though. That was pretty good.
2: Jean-Paul, he dies off from a gunshot wound. So now Moon Knight's losing all of his followers. They stop off at a diner that Gina owned before she went into the mental hospital. She's basically just, like, give him a chance to rest and makes him some pancakes and stuff. And then he, as he's taking a... Of all places, Kanchu decides to show up, pay him a visit. That he's not happy because he's kind of like wasting time and resting when he should be. You know, when like times of the essence right now.
1: That diner reminded me of the Island of the Lotus Eaters. Is kind of what I was getting from it.
0: Just the posture of him looking over his shoulder while he's taking a piss the urinal yes. really well drawn to me. The stance and the angles that panel of those three like shots. I love. How yeah, it that was goes. really well
2: done. So then Marlene wakes up right on time after they eat some pancake. Gina decides that she's going to stay at her place and then Moon Knight goes out with Marlene and basically finds this big pyramid they've been approaching. They've also noticed as they were getting farther away from the hospital and closer towards this pyramid that it seemed like the effects of Everybody started seeing more of the Moon Knight reality. So there's something special going on there. Right as they approach the steps, well, Moon Knight gets punched by another Moon Knight. I like that. <laughs> that's the old
1: Moon Knight costume.
2: That's where we end off. Is Moon Knight meeting Moon Knight? And if you remember, in the uh, hospital itself, what's her name had said that had said that, that this guy wasn't actually Moon Knight. That he was some kid that became obsessed with him, So let's see what happens next episode to see if we actually which Moon Knight's correct or if they're both
1: my favorite moon knight story is from a couple of years ago where like moon knight teamed up with the avengers and he's going through and just whooping ass and then at the very end of mm. like the six or twelve issues however many you know along that arc is is you realize that all of those Different people are just delusions that he has. He's actually doing all the stuff that the other... He's picturing all the other superheroes doing. Like, when he needs the inspirational talk from Captain America, he's just talking to himself, you know? Is this actually another Moon Knight? Or is he just, like, Fight Club punched himself in the face? Like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs>
0: well, it can just be multiple personalities. You have to think a lot of different psychological um, ailments because that can always come up within moon night
2: evaluation form it says bat shit crazy
1: <laughs> that's a technical term yeah you were talking mm-hmm. about that panel in the bathroom with uh jordi yeah. Belair's coloring i think is amazing on that one where he's like sitting in the stall and like the two red doors are like pillars that he's next to basically oh it's just beautiful coloring
0: Those were my favorite. Yeah,
2: the story's been great on this and the artwork is just stellar.
1: This really will show you why Jordi Belair is up for Eisner for coloring. This this is a fantastically colored book. Coloring adds to the storytelling.
0: Like when it does the pointillism for like the sand and that that deteriorated wispy kind of look. I love it. It's it's not something you're you're typically seeing nowadays in comics and it just really stands out. The artwork, it just stands out. Whereas the Punisher, the artwork brought it down. This one, the artwork definitely enhances it up. Let's
2: give it Four and a half pancakes.
0: Three and a half. You wasted time eating pancakes?
1: I will give it four and a half. Gina's Diner is the Island of the Lotus Eaters. So I'm taking us away from Marvel over to DC for Superman number two, written by Peter J. Tomasi, pencils by Patrick Gleason, inks by Mick Gray, colors by John Calise. So we didn't actually review Superman number one when it came out. It was awesome. So I knew that when number two came around, I wanted to read it because I was really interested in the the story. This is basically Super Dad, is really what Superman is now. That you have Superman with his son, and he's kind of filling the role of Pa Kent. That he's the mentor to his son who's discovering his powers. I really liked this. It had that sense that I want from Superman. It's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is, but it has to feel these are good people doing the best they can without being Too hokey. The last issue had the son. He's not supposed to use any of his powers. Their cat got grabbed a hawk like out on the farm, so he tried to use his laser vision to blast the hawk. But as you can see in this one, when he goes after the like octopus thing, he can't really control it very well. Ended up killing their cat. So he's been kind of moping around about that. You had this really great shot at the end of issue one where the rest of the Trinity of the Justice League show up and they keep like looking out his window at them, and they look super scary. Batman and Wonder Woman just look terrifying to him, like they're like monsters because it's from his point of view. So this one is Superman taking him on like almost like a training mission. There's this sub that's stuck in some ice. So he's going to take the kid there to, not exactly to help him, but just to watch what he does and how he does it so that when the time comes, and he'll have to do these things on his own. So he kind of wants him to see what's going on. And he gets to the sub and there's all these different people who have different ideas about what he's there for. You know, is he here to spy on us? Is he here to steal the uranium? Like, what? what is he here for? And then there's one guy who's like, you idiots, he's here to help us, which I like. So then Superman's, you know, got his like... Heroic pose, like on the the deck, like shaking everyone's hands, and that's when this crazy ass like, giant octopus Cthulhu thing comes out of the water and basically eats the sub, which is really weird. Like, I still don't quite understand exactly where that thing came from or what it's doing, but it looks uh, interesting enough so Superman's fighting the the octopus and he needs his son to blast it with the heat vision there are these like crystals on it that are controlling it so he needs him to like burn them off while he's fighting but the kid he can't aim the heat vision know, it's just like this big blast ends up hitting Superman also
0: Very <laughs>
1: yes very much like he doesn't have the little divisor on it just you know kind of goes everywhere and he blasts him for a second then he's you know Superman is like yelling because it hurts and then like the kid stops he's like sorry dad and he's like no no keep going it's not that bad <laughs> and you know that it actually is because later on you see he's got like his shirt off and his skin's red and blistered from it. It gets pretty powerful. Got a sunburn. But they end up defeating the octopus and they're sitting there having like a father-son talk and you see there's these little drops of blood in the snow that they're sitting on. They fly off and that's when this thing comes down and starts like analyzing the blood and you see it start like forming into something and you find out at the end that that is the Eradicator, who's one of from Reign of the Supermen, multiple Supermen that were after Reign of the Supermen, so playing into that whole, this is a retelling of the death the Superman. so that was kind of cool oh there's also a part where there's a girl who saw him blast the cat and she didn't say anything because she didn't think he was dangerous and she like she feels safe when she's around him and i actually thought it was a nice little parallel they were doing with clark and lois the way that they were sitting with their body language and having that conversation and the way that the little kid and the girl were sitting were kind of the same that that's like his version you know his confidant but the branch they're sitting on breaks and he falls And he gets hurt, so the friendly neighbor brings him over. He's really hurt and is like, oh, we can take you to the hospital. And Clark's, like, not having any of it, because obviously if they take him to the hospital, you know, they're going to find out that, you know, he's not what he seems to be. So he's kind of a jerk to the neighbor and sends him off. So I just, I really enjoyed the issue. I like the interplay between father and son, you know, but it doesn't seem really that, like, hokey or cheesy. Like, it feels pretty heartfelt and has some pretty true moments in it, I think.
0: I get worried for the kid. Because the kid's cute. Did the branch break because he's super strong, like Superman? Because that's why I kind of like got felt. Because it showed his hand hit it. Yeah. And then I'm Definitely sorry, the, like the good uh, intention neighbor looks like that actor, the diabetes. Oh, well,
1: Wilfred Brimley. He, he hey, Brimley. He does. Wilfred Brimley. Wilfred <laughs> Brimley. He's over for some oatmeal and
0: some. Yes. Kids go get diabetes.
1: He does look like Wilfred Brimley, it's true.
2: Oh, it's so true. Now that I look at it, oh my god, that's hilarious.
0: I like that this is more dealing with the personal life than more the superhero part. So I think it makes it more relatable and more interesting to me. It's really cute. At least the kid's really cute, and I like seeing what happens with the kid. Weird lava Superman at the end was kind of strange.
1: Eradicator, yeah.
0: Yeah, the Eradicator. Not really interested in him. I could take or leave him. I really like Lois and his interactions. I like hearing them talk and seeing all that.
2: Kind of boring for me. Blah, 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 family.
0: <laughs> Love and feelings, all that crap.
2: Story-wise, it didn't really suit my groove. I don't know, I wasn't really into it. Artwork-wise, it was pretty good overall. And there were a couple points where the faces would get wonky, though. Same time, there was some lots of good, good shots and stuff in there. It wasn't really my thing, but then again, I'm not really a big Superman fan, so... <laughs> eh.
1: Well, I ended up giving it
0: four Eradicators. I gave it... Three Wolford Brimleys.
2: <laughs> on that note, I'm gonna give you three cases of super diabetes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hopefully, moving on to something that Rory did like. I had Empress Number Four by Icon Comic, written by Mark Millar, yes. pencils by Stuart Imowin, and inks by Wayne von Graubadger. Sorry, I love your last name, von Graubadger, and colors by <laughs> Evie Sorvinka. <laughs> This issue, I really like this issue. The pacing of the panels and the story felt very movie-esque TV show. Like, I could see this being played out in live action kind of thing. Shows them on that dust planet. All the junk, they're still under the dust, but they have been basically making do, it seems. It seems like some time has passed. The kid is starting to build an engine out of parts he's found. It's like, well, it won't get us very far, but it could get us past the dust layer and then ship could move us. And the daughter has been praying. She's like, I can't see our sun, but I know which direction it is. And her and Dana think, oh, wow, so you're a real big believer. And it's like, just like your dad. And well, yeah. And it's like, don't you believe anything? He's like, only if I think it works. (laughs) You know?
1: Very Han Solo.
0: He is very Hanzo. He's very just whatever gets the job done kind of thing. You know, Yeah, if it, if it works. He is that kind of roguish former soldier. Then they are attacked and disturbed well, during this conversation. They run and there's Red and Gang of Miscreants. I don't know what they are. First they shoot and you, first you don't know. And it looks as like Dane just gets blasted right through the middle. It looks bad. Then they start chasing everyone down and shoot everyone. You're like, what? Yeah, is this the end of the series? What the hell? Just laying on the ground and they just pick up the baby. And they're like, oh, it is a baby. Not a midget. You were wrong. Like, like they had a bet about it. They're holding the baby like by like the scruff of the neck. I'm like, oh my god, don't you don't hold the baby that way? I was, what is going on? These people are horrible. So I'm like, where is the story going with this? And they're like, oh, we got the runners, and they're dragging bodies into piles. And I'm like, it looks pretty grim. We're like, okay, maybe the story is just about the baby. Now? <laughs> like taking a the baby. Yeah, that's what I thought. Kind of. I'm like, wow, that's not something I would have been, was expecting. But no, they have been stunned and they're taking the children, and the children are going to be sold in slavery. The adults are going to be sold for parts. And when you think about that, I'm like, ugh, that's pretty gruesome. And so they're on the spaceship and they're breaking the Cloud Bear. And basically, this group that has captured them is well known for gouging for anything and everything and people and making a buck. Ruthless. As they're taking off the planet, they're looking at the port and they're like, hey, ship, we can see out now. Ta-da! do your thing get us the f out of here but he takes the whole ship with them and it goes to like a, and they said somewhere really populated so it's like really really populated place and there's like things crashing and getting around and then like captured and hit and beat up and it's like this whole different scene basically and then they jump again and it's just like this whole thing the mother's like we need to get find a way we need to get my kids back she's like freaking out rightfully so it's like her dane and the ship but one of my favorite parts is what is the one who hangs out with the ship the, the littler guy the
1: one who can telekinetically control ships and stuff like that
0: so he had some cool moments in this one i can't remember his name ever but he been tr- he was trying to control some of the ships that they were on one scene where they have dane by both arms and they're fighting he's been struggling to try to get him free and he tells ship to teleport them somewhere he teleports the two people onto his arms into buildings that he lands. Why again? Were we not, do we not work together anymore? He's like, you stole my girlfriend and then like betrayed me at Backstab. I like that dynamic, that kind of talk. That's another thing that adds to the idea that I could see that like- The witty banter. And the witty banter. But then also again, I'm like, dude, the little dude stole your girlfriend. You're Dane. (laughs) Like, I want to see that story. (laughs) So basically it ends with them like, we have to get our kids back. So now the party is split and half is in danger. The other one is currently trying to rebuild a ship from this weird busted ass. One that they got from teleporting it through a couple different planetary jumps and wrecking it basically to get away. But it was had very epic. I really cared what was happening to them. I feel like this had them in more danger, and you got to see a lot more of them individually and hear a little bit more of their backstory. I'd like to hear what you guys think of this space opera. I
2: thought it was badass. That's one thing I could say about Empress is that every time I see it come up, it's like, alright, you know, it's gonna be fun. Thanks. Stellar artwork, awesome stories, interesting ideas that happen all over the place, great writing amongst the characters, you know, the banter back and forth, as you mentioned. Shit, I love this series. It's great. Probably my
1: favorite Empress so far. I feel like this one really gave you just a few moments for each character to really sort of define them a little bit more. The sun where he's scavenging uh, all junk and he's like, there's no such thing as junk. There's just stuff people don't know what to do with, which I thought was interesting. And then you get the daughter with her religion and things that make them a little more distinct so you actually care about them. And then they were in some pretty tense situations here. Like There were times where I thought 80% of the comics just got killed for a while there. I was like, damn, they just took them out. I cared more about what was happening here when they land in that like jungle planet at the end and they have those people who are like, the sacrifice has arrived. Those guys look really creepy and weird. I thought they were cool looking. The art's always great on this. They draw ships really, really well. Art's top-notch. I mean, that's the whole reason this is on Icon, is Stuart Eminem is a Marvel-exclusive artist, and so they couldn't do this on Image because he can't can't work for image so icon is marvel's indie imprint so that's why it's over there mark miller wanted to work with him again and it's well worth it i mean you can see why he did this is a really good melding of artist writer together to create you know a pretty interesting unique very cinematic book mark miller does really well with that like he has probably the most number of comic books adapted to movies of anyone and you can see why these look very filmable
0: and yeah this one definitely can be Though I am bummed that there is no big red Emperor Thanos dude this time. I like his little cameos.
1: That gave you a little more time to focus on, you know, the, the people in the story. You know, keep him like Darth Vader. You see him once in a while. You don't need to see him every every issue.
0: I gave it a good four. You stole Dane's girlfriend.
2: I loved it. I'm going to give it four uh, leg columns.
1: I will give it four. There's no such thing as junk.
2: Jackpot. This one was a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Jackpot number three. Aftershock Comics, written by Ray Fox, art by Marco <laughs> Felia. Colors by Stephanie Renee, or Stefani Renee, however the fuck you say that.
1: I think it's Stefani, because in the back it has pictures of him, and he, it's a dude. He's Italian, so he's riding his little Vespa, and you know, drinking <laughs> his espresso. He's it's Stefani. Uh, I never read the articles
2: <laughs> afterward. Jackpot, if you guys remember, we left off with the crew. They were basically making a getaway from big heist they were planning, and they find out, as the whole deal goes bad, that Dominique, the genius, she has this special ability to use this weird calculus that affects reality and so they'd gone into like this stairwell and it, they were like cornered by some baddies and she used this stuff to basically like warp reality and everything's kind of left off from there so it starts off with this interesting uh gambling analogy you know they've got there uh, this craps table out and you know they got these dice that are basically are colored like space and whatnot and they give this uh interesting analogy of, about how the odds that you're alive right now are enormous given like the smallest little things if they were changed, could completely and totally change how reality works. Electromagnetic negative forces didn't work the same way. The Earth is just a little bit closer, a little bit farther for the sun. They mention how, like, things are lined up to make sure that, like, people are alive and they mentioned something about, what if you figured out a trick where you could game the system? And what if, you know, you gaming the system screwed everything up, essentially? It was a really interesting way to start off the comic book, I thought.
1: I thought those dice that were the universe was awesome, because there's like a famous line, you know, God doesn't play Mm -hmm. dice with the universe, and here you've got, you know, (laughs) basically that exact same thing happening.
2: So then you jump off back into where we left off with the team in the stairwell, and the stairwell has basically gone full blown MC Escher on us. She is kind of like, it looks like she's almost off in a trance as she's doing this stuff. She's kind of not really paying attention to what's going on as portals are opening and stairways are twisting in ways that they shouldn't. One of the guys is completely lost his shit and is freaking out. So they go back to where Dominique and Tam have started off and she's basically like just a badass thief. She completely like pickpockets some guy and does the typical like bumps into him and then like starts yelling at him and stuff. She's like really like a badass thief and then like they they're showing like all these different flash forwards and flashbacks. So it's hard to fucking describe this one cuz they jump around so goddamn much.
1: Yeah, it's like each character basically gets like a little flashback to show you their kind of have the, yes. like the origin of the team and then like each person's flashback has the genius character in it how they're all connected to her.
2: We basically have like these flashback scenes for all the different characters. And then we get to know a little bit more about our mysterious villains or shadowy figures or whatnot. And they're like completely confused by like the way she's using this. She's using it. It's like nothing that they've ever seen before. And then this is the scene where I got confused is when they had this uh, standoff scene because all of a sudden it jumps to this scene where.
1: Oh, the CIA reminds me of the end of uh, what's that Angelina joke? Movie with, like, the loom of fate that they have that's a comic book adaptation that's completely different. Wanted. Yeah, it reminds me of Wanted, where they have that kind of Mexican standoff in a circle scene.
2: Very interesting, very weird.
1: The way that I felt about it was like each three or four page little story was really interesting and good on its own, but yes. when you put them all together, you're like, what the fuck was that?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, how they fit together and the time sequence and all of that is. And I think it's probably purposely. Confusing. It was still, it was very odd. I would really would have liked this book just as much, if not more, if it was just a straight up a team of super criminal con artists and you know, just like an Ocean's Eleven book.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh it's definitely good. I enjoyed it. They definitely keep me wanting more. I was interested in
0: the first few ones. This one, I was just like, wasn't loving it. I didn't like it. It was just too confusing. The
1: individual parts don't add up to a better whole. You know, each little flashback is interesting but you throw them together and then just the whole thing with the calculus is very strange. If you took all your favorite foods and (laughs) threw them in a blender, (laughs) blended them together, and then drank it, it would not taste good. Kind of the best analogy I got for this.
2: Three pairs of dice.
0: I gave it one and three quarters what the fuck floating maids. I was so (laughs) sick of seeing the damn maid floating in the air.
1: That's her outfit that she's wearing during the heist.
0: I know, but it just bugged me.
1: I will give it two and a half... Equations.
0: And then moving on to a comic that I really did like, which was almost going to be my pick of the week. Oh,
1: Spider-Woman number nine, written by Dennis Hopeless, uh, pencils by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, colors by Javier Rodriguez. Now that I'm thinking about it, my two books this week are both about parents, so... That I identify more with the parents, I think, than the kids, because I'm old (laughs) as fuck. Jessica has taken a job to uh, go investigate a Wendigo outbreak in Canada. Yetis! No, they're the Wendigo. They're the cannibal spirit of winter.
0: I know what they are, but he keeps saying yetis at the beginning.
1: I just, I love this book. This is probably my favorite book, hands down. And this one, this issue has a lot of things I really like about it. So this is a Civil War tie-in, and basically the tie-in is Carol keeps trying to call Jessica, and Jessica keeps basically ignoring her phone calls because she doesn't want to hear about it, because she, you know, she went and she fought that Celestial thing that came through, you know, so she's like, saving the universe once a year is enough for me, like, I don't need any more of this crazy superhero stuff. So she's off to investigate the the Wendigo, which they have this this cool little line where they explain what the Wendigo is – which I'm pretty sure is a line from a comic book where they're talking about the Wendigo. So basically the Wendigo is if you eat human flesh in Canada, you will become the Wendigo. So they're at this convention investigating it and there's a a smoked meat dinner that they're having. They have lots of the motion and panels that I like where they've got Jessica and Porcupine moving around, investigating everyone and having a little bit of hard time determining who's suspicious and weird and who's just Canadian. (laughs) So they break up the room. They're like, I'm going to talk to the sweaters, you talk to the turtle." The porcupine sees the chef and thinks that he's kind of suspicious what's going on. So he goes to check out the kitchen. There's a scene of the chef, you know, commanding the kitchen. And they've got the thing where his arms are pointing in, like, all these different directions, which kind of reminded me of, like, maybe, like, a scene from, like, Looney Tunes or something where someone's pointing in a lot of different directions at one time. Porcupine sees that the chef actually has a bunch of dead bodies hanging up in the freezer and that that's what the smoked meat is that they're going to serve to everyone. So they have, he, t- he calls Jessica and tells her and you get this, these nice panels where they're really using their panel layout to show you the quickness of the sequence that's going on where Jessica basically like leaps up and starts kicking the, uh, you know, sandwiches out of everyone's mouth basically so that they don't uh, eat anything. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the manager of the place. And, like starts just chowing down and turns into the Wendigo and they start battling and it's really great. There's like one panel actually where the Wendigo gets thrown out outside and Jessica's running through the hotel and there's like a skier watching what's going on and there's also a Mountie standing there with a rifle and she like runs past them and grabs both of them, both the skis and the rifle. So then she's doing the uh, downhill skiing with the rifle, which is an Olympic event, but I can't think of the name of it right now. So she's chasing the Wendigo and these pretty cool action scenes of her skiing and shooting the, the Wendigo with these like Tranquilizer darts, and she's fighting the Wendigo, and the Wendigo gets blasted. Which is Captain Marvel showed up, and Jessica's kind of mad that she interfered with her fight. And Captain Marvel's like, "You were too busy to talk. You said you were on a job, and when the job was over, you would talk to me." So (laughs) you know. But you find out that Captain Marvel wants Jessica because she's not she doesn't she's not on a side, and she doesn't care really what's going on. So she's kind of unbiased to investigate Ulysses and find out. What's going on? Like, are his visions actually accurate? So I think as I'm seeing more of Captain Marvel in this, I'm I'm more on her side here. Like, it seems like she is taking the precautions to figure out if his visions are actually reliable. So, I liked that. So, now they're basically going to be off to investigate a bunch of visions and see if they prove to be true or not. There's also a scene where she's asking everyone their opinion and then she asks her kid his opinion and he, like, throws up all Mm. over her, which I thought was pretty funny. The book has just everything I love about Spider-Woman. It's got the fantastic art. It's got the family stuff. It's funny. Really, there's nothing I don't like about this book. I love it. What'd you guys think?
0: I'm the opposite of you in some regards, like the reason why this wasn't my pick of the week is because Carol got her (laughs) way at the end and that just gave me a bitter taste in my mouth and I turned me on the whole book together. The book was great, yes, Porcupine making jokes that because they were basically at the beginning were intermingling Wendigo and Yetis and abomal Snowmans all in one. They were like using the same terminology a few times. And the minute you saw the smoke meat sign inside the lodge, I was like, oh no. <laughs> it's a Wendigo, not a Yeti. And that was just really funny. Like the action panels were amazing. It was funny. I love the little Wendigos because Wendigos look like big furry werewolf men. I thought it was really great. And then also the part where the kids are like, oh, what's wrong with daddy? And then all of a sudden there's multiples of them and they have a fight. And he's like, get back up here. And I really do love, I love that Jessica thinks for herself, at least at the beginning. And I like her fighting with Captain Marvel. It seems like a real fight that you would have with friends. Like the, the type of friends where you can be as forthcoming as you can be and know that you'll still be friends later and that there's a certain dynamic of friends that that you can get away with something like that and i felt like their conversation and their back and forth banter was very realistic in that regards oh yeah your powder blue ski suit she's like i look damn cute in this powder blue ski suit you know
1: it she does look damn cute that outfit it's awesome
0: they're being kind of like bitchy at each other and i love it and i like that she kept brushing her off and the point where i disagree with you about captain marvel is i feel like she's feigning trying to uh, cover her ass that she's covering because she's only asking people who I feel like she can manipulate. When she asks Miss Marvel, because Miss Marvel idolizes her, Spider-Woman is like her best friend, you know? These are people who aren't really gonna question her and aren't really... Well, Spider-Woman, to some regard...
1: I don't think that's true. Spider-Woman basically told her to fuck off that she didn't want anything to do with it, you know?
0: These are people who, (laughs) while Spider-Woman did turn her down many times, when it comes down to it, she's still her best friend. And even... If that's true that you're that is your best friend you're willing to tell them no and that they're wrong they're still more likely than not gonna side with you on something or at least be colored your opinion is gonna be swayed even to a minute degree and she's only giving her data that she wants to see and giving to her in a way that how she sees it it's not completely unbiased now she said here's data that Tony got you and I think he's a wrong fucker will you look at it since it's coming from her I don't think it's as unbiased and I feel like she can definitely sway things I
1: know you're on team iron yeah, but take off the tin foil hat it's not a conspiracy <laughs> i think carol's to a big bitch
0: right now and i don't like her i like jessica i think carol's trying I think to figure Jessica's it out cool. i really hope jessica can see it she can help sway it because it's not cool right now i don't like carol's actions
1: I'm I'm more on her side. Originally, I was with Iron Man, but as I'm seeing more of from, you know, the Captain Marvel book with, you know, the consequences of what happens when you don't act. And here she's trying to, I think, honestly verify what's happening. I'm, I'm more with her. Than Tony, who is quite clearly insane at this time. I also liked uh, the scene with the porcupine where he's fighting all the like the Wendigo that he's like basically fighting for his life. And Jessica and Carol show up and they're just like kind of like still talking and just kind of like backhanding like the Wendigo. Like this is nothing Little to us. Little
0: porcupine spines in them. I feel like the only reason why she's double-checking stuff now is because Tony brought it to her attention. I don't think she might have on her own. Tony might be crazy, but at least I don't see him trying to manipulate people as much. And that just rubs me the wrong
1: way. You don't see not Tony right Stark as not being not a manipulative Not currently. Faster. I'm not saying
0: that it can't happen. And I'm not saying that it hasn't <laughs> happened, because it has. But I'm just saying right now, Carol to me is pulling like mean girls high school crap and I don't like it. <laughs>
2: I enjoyed this one a lot. It was really funny. I liked the banter, the bitchiness (laughs) that was going back and forth. I definitely felt it. When she's getting called, like, left and right, and she's, like, <laughs> picks up the phone, and she's just like, fuck off, you know, but doesn't, like, actually answer the phone. I'm like, oh, that sounds like me. For as obvious as this whole thing was, the whole Wendigo thing, it, that was kind of, like, the humor in it, is that, like, the Wendigo thing, like, was, was like, so, like, not even important to the story. <laughs> as they're just, like, basically kicking the hell out of a bunch of Wendigos carrying on with their shit. I'm not like you guys where I'm like all like sold on one side or the other because I don't give a shit I'm kind of leaning towards uh, Carissa That this is more uh, this is more Carol's like doesn't know how to not get her way and she's just basically I I feel that she's that's kind of her personality is that she's she wants her way and she's going to get it and so she's very creative in her approach there's a lot of aspects of the drawing like we ryan's talked about like the movement happening and stuff like that where she basically she does a throw on one of the wendigos and throws him out the window and i like how they show basically it's like as she's rolling with him uh they show exactly how the move's done i thought that was a really neat a uh, couple of panels there was about eight panels you know makes things more entertaining than like whenever i would read comic books and stuff like that and they Do these like weird, you know, comic book style moves. Arch
1: your back and kick your leg out and all this kind of crazy shit. It's like,
2: what the fuck are you doing? You know, it's like having a martial arts background, it's like it would always really drive me nuts. And it's nice to see that. You know, the artists of nowadays are starting to make it a little bit less hokey, like put two fists together and swing them and shit like that, and like starting to actually make things like more real moves and stuff like that. It just makes things like visually more appealing.
1: I will give it four and a half uh, powder blue jumpsuits. I gave
0: it four, yeah, hang up on Carol.
2: I'm gonna give it four finger sandwiches. So we've got Justice League Rebirth number one, DC Comics, written by Brian Hitch, pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Daniel. Uh, ooh, whoa! Anybody want to help me on that one?
0: Henryus.
2: Yeah, Henrius. Sorry, Henry- Daniel. Henryus. <laughs> I will assume. And Scott Hanna. Yeah, That's one's easy. Colors by Alex Sinclair. Okay, so we return to the DC universe. And there's a giant, a giant cockroach, space cockroach
1: like a tick has or something, yeah. descended
2: on New York City and it spits out giant fucking octopus looking things that are like grab.
1: Like facehugger crabs, kind of, yeah.
2: You have these interesting scenes between the Justice League minus Superman who's out fighting the giant space cockroach and Superman who's chilling at home fucking making dinner with with the wife and kid. Basically, it's like the whole goddamn (laughs) comic book is the Justice League's fighting the space cockroach and Superman sitting sit at home talking with Lois and talking about nah, they could take care of it themselves, no big deal. At one point or another, they go inside the space cockroach and get close to its mind because they assume that Spence is spitting out sea critters that Aquaman could talk to him. <laughs> Which surprise, <laughs> surprise, they're correct and then it basically like, so they're sitting there struggling with the giant space cockroaches telling them how doomed they are. And there's more space cockroaches coming in. And then eventually Superman shows up and kicks the shit out of it. And, you know, opens up holes so that they could damage it and scare it off and shit. That's basically the gist of the fucking comic book. It was sucking Superman's big giant super dick the entire time. Uh, That's how I felt about it. You know, like, cause they're sitting there and they're having all this trouble and then I'm already – it's kind of like one of my things that I've never really liked Superman about is that it just – he's super powerful and it's like, OK, you're boring. I didn't,
1: I didn't think uh, Action Comics or Superman was boring. I thought those were really well written.
2: Let's give up the whole we-need-to-go-inside-it thing. You know, I mean I know that that's a classic piece of mythology. It's also way fucking overdone. There's always some giant critter that somebody's got to go crawling into its belly so it could get to its brain so it could talk to it.
0: That's the classic gaming party
2: maneuver. It's classically lame and overdone <laughs> and and not interesting. It doesn't add anything to the.
1: I wish when they had went uh-huh. inside that there would have been like, antibodies that they had to fight or like white blood cells or like something like that, you know, to show you the size. He wants <laughs> inner space
0: to
1: Well, me. to show you the size difference between them that, you know, yeah, sure. this thing is basically the size of the island of Manhattan. If you're going to go inside, use it.
2: The artwork was good. The artwork was really good. The story sucked balls. That's my take.
0: I tend to agree with Rory on this one. I was like, what the hell? They're fighting a giant space trilobite. I was bored. Like, I thought it was really creepy with the things on their heads. I'm like, okay, that's very Lovecraftian Cthulhu creepy. I don't like that. (laughs) That's okay. Nice touch. Other than that, I'm like, I don't really care. I was just kind of creepy. Uh, again, the, the artwork was great. There was the one panel of the, all of them kind of like rushing forward as a team. Then joking at the Green Lanterns or the Wonder Twins was kind of funny. It just didn't do for me. I thought, okay, cool. Creepy head things. Great artwork. Other than that, it's kind of eh. I'm sure you liked it because you tend to like things like this.
1: <laughs> there are things I liked and there are things I didn't like. So the artwork looks good. But there are some panels where they're like just overly posed people don't stand that way like it reminded me a lot of there's the you know scene in the avengers where all the avengers are in a circle and like the camera's spinning around so you get all really cool you know shots of them and there are a lot of panels like that where they're all in their superhero pose doing shit that doesn't make any sense yeah and like turning their bodies in weird ways so I, i didn't like that um but the art does look good i thought that the giant cockroach tick space thing was kind of cool and I also (laughs) liked the idea that it was here that there's something else coming behind it and that what it was going to do would have been a mercy compared to what so I thought that was kind of cool I liked the part with the Justice League where they're like again talking about how they don't really know if they can trust this Superman and Batman's like no he needs to be part of the Justice League and they're like "Uh, what are you talking about Batman you're like the most suspicious of us and you're all for this he's like no no I don't trust him at all that's why I want him really close to me so I can watch him.
0: <laughs> mean mug by
1: bat. There were some images that I liked. I thought that the alien bug thing looked pretty cool. I did think they could have done more with it when they went inside. I felt like this could have been two issues rather than one issue. I felt a little rushed. I mean, this is just a rebirth to kind of introduce you to the idea of the Justice League and where they're at and, you know, it'll pick up with with their actual stuff, but... You know, as far as, like, he's doing both the writing and the, the pencils on this, and he's doing a pretty good job of both, I think. I mean, I know you guys maybe are not as much a fan of this as I was, but I enjoyed this very much. I think it set the stage, and I feel like there's something sinister coming.
2: It felt like it was handy to Superman, so I'm going to give it two and a half super boners.
0: I'm going to give it straight the middle of the road, two and a half trillobite hats. Trilobite hats.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> trilobite hats. <laughs> stylish.
1: <laughs> I'll use Wonder Woman's line. I'll give it three and a half worth of Justice League run. Still with DC, this is uh, more of the Hanna-Barbera reboot that they're doing. So I'm going to – there are two sentences that I'm going to say that I really never thought I would say. Uh, the first one is, I read a Flintstones comic this week. The second one is – I love the Flintstone comics that I read this week. It was amazing. Flintstones number one from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Steve Puh, I'm not sure, Pug. I don't know how you say his last name. The colors by Chris Chukri. The Flintstones, it was, when it came out, commentary on modern life. And I think that this sticks with that. It's very funny, but it's also way, way darker than I would have expected from a Flintstones uh, comic. It's also really, really insightful and has some interesting observations. So you've got basically two stories going on here. Um, you've got Fred, who's working, you know, at the quarry, and there's these crow magnons who got hired, and it's Fred's job to take them around and make sure that they really enjoy themselves, so that they'll continue to work for him because they're, you know, they're way stronger than people are, and they don't know what money is, so he doesn't have to pay them. So he really wants them to to work for him so he's taking them around to see stuff and the first part where i knew that this was uh really going to be a darker book is where they go to their where you know Fred and Barney go to their lodge and it's like a crisis group for like war veterans where they have <laughs> to talk about what they did when they killed all the forest people that lived there before them so to make room for for their people and then there's also a part where they go to the the Rock-tagon to watch their version of UFC and after the UFC fight goes uh goes off there's a background scene where the guy who lost the fight is being eaten by uh, pterodactyls,
2: which yeah. I thought was right after they uh, got back from their uh, veterans group. That they're driving in, and uh, you see shale plains condos, formerly tree people acres. So the place they were yeah. just talking about conquering, they were going to.
1: <laughs> they also have like you know all the names tons of things that actually exist. The one that I thought was really funny is there's a uh, there's a gay bar there called Homo Erectus. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. So they have all their different, you know, names for the stuff. So there's lots of puns. If you like puns, you'll be really happy with this. Yes. <laughs> they use, you know, tons of puns. Yeah. And then the second story is Wilma is, she's got an art exhibit that she's going to go to. And there's a bunch of hipsters who basically talk shit to her the whole time. And, you will call her really derivative that, like, cave paintings are so over you know that everyone's there's nothing new there she's like an outsider art exhibit but she that just means that her art is outside the building which i thought was kind of interesting like i really thought that there that her painting actually is a good example of how this book comes at things from all different kinds of angles funny parts with her painting where you know she does the painting and she's like oh i think i'm gonna call this one hands because it's just like her hand and in like ink on the the page but then there's also really like insightful social commentary going on here. I also like at the end, they had something that I've been thinking about actually for a while since I heard it, where the Cro-Magnons decide that they're not going to continue working there um, because they don't like civilization because civilization is just a way to get other people to do your killing for you. I was like, oh, damn, that's a, an interesting way to think about <laughs> what civilization is. And they also have a thing with her, with the cave painting, touching and, and also insightful, where she's talking about with her tribe that you used to put your, before you would got on like a hunt, you'd put your hand painting on the wall. So if you died when you came back, there was still something there to remind you of. And, like, Fred didn't know that about her, which I thought was funny. That was also, then it cuts back to humor, where they're like, oh, why did we decide to have a traditional marriage? And it shows her with, like, basically a giant sack over her head, like, and a bunch of goats that he's trading for her. And then they have, like, a, it's a really funny line, but it's also sweet. He's like, oh, you were worth every goat, you know? (laughs) (laughs) There's also a part where they're working in the, the quarry, and, like, their construction equipment is just, like, these, like, rams that they use that they grab by the legs and like smash their skulls into the rocks. Just lots of lots of funny parts, really insightful. I really like this. The art is good too. Fred looks a little different than I would have expected him to look like. He kind of looks like a really muscular John Goodman.
0: Isn't John Goodman who played him in the live action Flintstone movie? Yeah. That's where I think a lot of the inspiration for the art came from. It's from the actual live action movie. I'm not really 100% go-go on these adaptations that they've been doing of Hanna-Barbera. But when they do do them, if they're going to be done, they are doing them at least in creative ways that tend to surprise. So in that regard, I think they get well done. They're done well. I wouldn't think we need them since they're doing them. At least they're doing them okay. I like their new take on things, like their spin on it. And that really gains like a respect for me. It's not something that I'd probably go and pick up and read that often, but I don't mind reading it. I thought Late was just sleazy and creepy and there were some jokes i didn't think fit very well that i think they could have played well it was like for example to say it looks like we walked into a sky mall catalog
1: yeah i didn't understand that one i'm like what? which that didn't we make-
0: get because we know what sky mall is but i think they should have twisted it to be like pterodactyl mall or something because right there's no airplanes so why is it called sky mall so that's the only one where i was like uh <laughs>
1: I do like Slate's glasses, that they're just like twigs tied together that they don't actually have any, any like glass in them for him to see through. It's just funny.
0: He's like a big giant sloth couch and his uh, armadillo uh, speedo. He has <laughs> yeah, like just-
1: the, the hot tub that they're all in and like the... The ice cream that the turtle's bringing them, but it melts because the turtle's so slow. It's funny.
0: Yeah, the weird exposition of, oh, this is our uh, Neanderthal in the museum when at the beginning where it's modern times. We call him Lorenzo. We think he is, and he totally ends up not being any of that. He was just ordered to go fight a mammoth for barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's just wearing the necklace of Slate.
1: That's what Slate gave him to go do it, right? Yeah.
0: I didn't hate it. I thought it was a creative adaptation. It was all right. Worth a read if you're curious about it.
2: I mean, don't get me wrong; it was funny in parts. There were some things that they did that cracked me up and that I enjoyed, but for the most part, I was really bored reading most of it. Uh, the artwork is pretty good. Woman looks pretty fucking hot in this one. <laughs> yeah, she does. She almost looks like a, a like a redhead Betty Page or something like that, which is kind of funny because normally she wasn't like super like vamped up in like the original cartoon or whatever. But then again, I don't know what what can you do. I really like her story though. That they had with that, with the whole, uh, with her hand paintings. When she starts explaining the meaning of the painting, I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Overall, yeah, there were like some funny parts that I cracked up about here and there. They they hit a lot of stuff in the background on us on this one, but for the most part, it didn't really do much for me.
1: Oh, man, this would have been my
2: pick of the week. I love this. <laughs> really,
1: <laughs> I I think
0: I would give it a four and a half yabba dabba do times. I'm giving it three armadillo uh, speedos.
2: I'll give it three gold necklaces.
0: Star Wars Han Solo, number two, Marvel Comics, written by Marjorie Liu, and pencils by Mark Brooks, inks by Dexter Vine, and colors by Sonia Oba. So last where we left off, our dashing space pilot, Han Solo and Chewie were flying the Millennium Falcon in the Dragon Nest when the first set of Hunger Game Games went off. <laughs> so there's people dropping left and right. They're saying we've never had this many casualties in the first trap. The whole commentary is going on. So there's like a ship that passes Han and is firing behind him, but not caring that the Millennium Falcon is there saying that he's shooting at the probes but really shooting trying to take out Han and Han doesn't take too kindly to that there's other people who have like some sort of trick up their sleeve and they're saying no no it's a Twi'let girls uh, pair and they're like we need to save this for this other part of the like I think the vastness they call it or something and they're like well it's not going to do us any good that if we don't make it to survive enough to make it to the vastness so they blow that trick someone's just like oh look they had a trick up their sleeves and they get themselves out the one who's been like the old racer the weird that uh, looks like the opera singer from fifth element chick blue one she's just doesn't even have her ship powered up and just kind of floating through dead space not being attacked and for, that was a big clue i think um because you'll find out later that han basically cuts his engines he figures it out because basically, as the debris is all flying around him and all these ships have been disabled, he knows that the the mines or the probes or whatever aren't going after those. They're only going after things that have that are activated. So he cuts his engines, is using the forward momentum that he had where he was trying to get away from them to push him past the barrier or the checkpoint. Basically, the blue alien chick has basically was waiting for that the whole time. So then she latches an anchor onto the Millennium Falcon and basically has her across that finish line for the first half and he was like oh no lady you just not do that so he was kind of hurt so that's that first half of the race so they're on the planet for their first checkpoint han basically gets into it with the guy who shot him he's just like i'm not having that that's just rude disrespectful whatever and people are like well you can file a report with it and you know because that's sportsmanship conduct and da da he's like no but if he does it again And they're like, oh, see, he respects the race. He understands about the race and not about grudges. And they're giving Han, like, props. Chewie sneaks off and is going to go meet up with their contact, which is the whole reason why they're doing this race in the first place. It's for the Rebellion. Chewie's on his little covert mission. But then it looks like the guy who Anakin is racing on Tatooine in the prequels, in the first one, Uh, whatever his name is. I'm sure there's people yelling at me right now, listening. They know the name. It's either him or his race or something of that race.
1: It starts with an S. It's like C- Cibula. 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 I think it's just the race, yeah.
0: He basically has a is ahead, it's like, you got people watching you, basically, to Han. But then shortly thereafter, Periel show up. First I thought they were just capturing Han, but it looks like they're capturing all the racers. Because they're all, like, chained up. And cuts back to Chewie, and Chewie basically gets the person now who they were supposed to get. The guy doesn't want to go with Chewie. He's like, that Wookiee's going to eat me. And then Hey, and the person who has it is like, my job is just to make sure that this transfer happened. I'm done. You're going with him and that's it. And then a bounty hunter shows up. And she's a human bounty hunter. And I love how she looks. Badass chick. She has like half a shaved head that's green with like red hair. She looks cool. I'm like, she was cool looking. She starts firing on Chewie and he's trying to get their... Basically, their package, their person, the safety. And it just ends with like some Imperial guy. It's going to happen. So basically, they have all the the pilots captured. She was being shot out by a bounty hunter. Are they going to get back to the race? How are they going to get out of this?
1: I really liked the end scene with the Imperial officer. I thought it was really well drawn. The way that they have the perspective. You know, Han being lower and the officer being higher in the picture to give you that power dynamic. He looks really just that smug Imperial like British actor body language that he has going. Like, he really looks like he should be like sipping tea while he's saying this. And I think what he said was actually pretty chilling. Where he's like, we don't want to spill any blood on camera. Yeah, They're basically, they're beating the shit out of these guys. And this is like a really popular race. So it's being broadcast everywhere. So he's like, no, 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 we're not going to do this on camera. So I thought that was interesting. And sort of given some recent events, you know, to me was... Very chilling to hear him say that. It felt really fun. Felt like a good Star Wars space adventure. Felt like Han Solo. I could hear Harrison Ford saying or, you know, doing all of these things. Had the t- nailed the tone. The art's good. Marjorie Lou, pretty good writer, so... And this isn't quite so weirdly anime as Monstrous, which we all... Well, most of us like, you know, so...
2: They've got Han Solo, like, as far as like his actions and stuff, nailed to a T. The artwork is phenomenal in this. They always do a, a really good job with the artwork. One of the things that I picked up on a lot is that the, the way they'll use kind of like the new modern digital tools to like put multiple layers of focus into the uh, into the shots. You'll have things that are very, very close to you or very blurred out. And then as it goes through the scene, you know, like there's a scene that I'm looking at in particular right now with uh, Chewbacca and he's running with a little gray alien. Everything goes from really blurry down, you know, your tunnel vision, which is Chewie running with this alien in the middle. I like that effect. Adds a lot of realism and a lot of depth into the drawing. And so neat shit like that. Yeah. Character design's excellent. The characters themselves actually just kind of like pop out from the page. They, they're they very lifelike. I mean, this run is excellent and I mean I've really shit on some of the Star Wars comic books so far Han Solo has been kicking ass for me
0: if they've messed with Han Solo I would let you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it was not up to par very
2: true for very my true. boy
0: But so far he is definitely it, they have his tone down I will give it three and three quarters cut the engines
1: I will give it three and a half watch yourself Solo
2: oh you bastard <laughs> 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 I certain that you weren't going, nobody was going to catch that one. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> it's funny how often we all pick out the same things out of all the shit we could pick out of a comic book." You know? Yeah. I'm going to give it four shaved green sides of heads.
0: So, those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out FourColorNerds.com or our Facebook page, also nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music.
1: On Stitcher. On SoundCloud.
0: And on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and come on back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.